Sorry, Facebook. What about Facebook? Oh,、uh, all the kids are leaving Facebook. Oh, so that is what has triggered this question. Yeah, elder millennial Mike. <laughs> elder millennial Mike. Oh, great. So you're asking if I've left Facebook? Yeah. Have you left Facebook? I mean, I left Facebook long ago in spirit. I don't really interact with Facebook very much. But you're still getting all the f- baby photos. Ugh. Well, that is the problem with this age we are at. All those friends with baby photos must be very disappointed in your response. Seriously, our Facebook feeds are nothing but wall-to-wall baby photos. I mean, you're not helping. No, I'm kidding. You actually, you basically never post anything on Facebook. I've signed off with my wedding photos. That's it. Am I friends with April on Facebook? Definitely. So April doesn't really post baby photos much either. No, they, they they're really worried about privacy. Oh, very smart, very smart. Yeah, I don't post anything on Facebook. You were commenting that actually I do post on Facebook, but actually no. Tumblr used to post on Facebook on my behalf because I have a blog that I started when I moved to Hong Kong seven years ago. And can we advertise it? It's been in the show notes several times, so if you've been paying attention, you'll already know what it is. I mean, I'll put it in the show notes again. To start out with, it was oh, I'm moving to Hong Kong. This is going to be a blog about how I moved to Hong Kong, and it rapidly just became. This is photos of my lunch. So for a while, I was just sharing photos of my lunch on Facebook. But people do comment on your photos. Well, they don't anymore because Tumblr has removed Facebook support. So my blogging is no longer cross-posted to Facebook. So it's not the integration broke, and they didn't bother fixing it. Yeah, well, I noticed that it had stopped actually posting to Facebook, and then. When I updated the Tumblr app, the option had just gone. So, I assume they have just proactively removed it. I don't know whether it's because Facebook cut them off, or whether it's because they decided Facebook isn't cool anymore and Tumblr is trying to still be cool. So, but whatever. I now no longer have to feel guilty about posting photos of my lunch on Tumblr. So now my Tumblr is just filled with even more jank than before. I took a photo of a car the other day. Its number plate was sausage. What was the car? I don't even remember, but it's on the blog, so you can take a look for yourself. Quality content. Do you ever come across new and interesting subreddits? Sometimes, I guess, usually from say, best of or when you know they're cross-posted. I've come across a really interesting one, which is I don't work here, lady. Oh, <laughs> this is a subreddit. Yes, it is, and it's hilarious. But we're not talking about their stories or their posts. We're talking about ours. Do you have one of these stories? I do. Oh, well, let's start with yours. So, when I was quite young, maybe twenty-four, twenty-five, maybe twenty-six. <laughs> I love that this is kind of quite young, <laughs> a long time ago. And at the beginning of your office career, you don't really dress well. You sort of like white shirt. Trousers and they both don't quite fit. Speak for yourself, man. <laughs> sorry, sorry, just me then. And I used to work around the Barbican Theatre. I used to walk through it a lot because I went from the office through there to the the lunch market. So I started noticing, like maybe in the first month, on like the maybe the fourth week, I had someone ask me, like, "Oh, sir, excuse me, do you know if I can find Theatre A or Studio B or whatever?" And then she started becoming a thing where like the Young-looking Chinese kid who 
wore these oversized, really plain-looking office clothes, worked at the Barbican Theatre as an usher. This sounds perfectly plausible. I probably would have been confused too. <laughs> I was rushing to lunch. <laughs> You're rushing to lunch. You're like this hard-pressed like city worker. You're like, oh, I'm in such a hurry. I'm in, I've got this high-powered city job. And everyone else is like, oh, theatre slave, please help me. So that's what's internally, that's why I've got in my head. But the reality is like I'm a confused little boy. Doesn't know where you know what he's doing for lunch. What has happened to you, Ting? That 24-year-old you is a confused little boy. When did you become so old? I'm still a confused little boy now. I just wear tighter clothes nowadays and it seems to make all the difference. I'm just imagining you in spandex in the office now. You know, everyone's actually writing these complaints to HR, but no one in HR wants to talk to you because you're wearing spandex. Sorry. But you have a story too. (laughs) Yeah, well, my one of... Yeah, well, my one of these stories... So, in London, a few years ago, it used to be very common for, like, Chinese illegal immigrants to sell counterfeit DVDs. So, you would see them, like, standing on street corners, and they'd have laid out a little blanket, and they'd just have put on the floor loads of fake DVDs of, like, popular Hollywood films, and they'd be selling them for, like, you know, a pound each or something. Which is really expensive. You can get it for free off BitTorrent. Internet was slow then. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, one time I was walking past a pub and this guy just shouts at me, Oi mate, got any DVDs? And I was carrying like a messenger bag. And then I looked at him and I opened my bag and I put my hand in. And then I just pulled it out and gave him the finger and I was like, oh, sorry, mate. So rare. <laughs> I thought you were joking when you told me that. So rude. What? He just asked me if I was selling counterfeit DVDs. You could have just said no. (laughs) A normal person would just say no, mate. (laughs) But you think it's very suitable just to give him the finger. When someone has made a racial stereotype judgment about you, you give them the finger. It's the only appropriate thing to do. Well, actually, after I gave him the finger, then I did think... Maybe he wasn't trying to be funny. Maybe he genuinely thought I was selling DVDs and I felt kind of bad. But then I was like, no, wait, he just made a racial stereotype judgment. I'm perfectly justified doing this. <laughs> Fine. I think that's where we differ. <laughs> Timmy Ting would have been, oh, oh no, but I can pop to HMV if you like and buy you some. And Unruly Mike is like, yeah, I should have just glassed him. <laughs> terrible we can talk about piracy at hmv as well as as another topic what did you ever just i don't know maybe i'm a terrible person did you ever just buy cds lift open them by the hinge so that they had the seal still on make a copy and then just return it no that was just me then this just sounds like BitTorrent with extra steps that's terrible ting it's it's terrible why would you do this i am outraged i was a student (laughs) Yeah, learn to Napster. No, uh, <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised. I'm surprised. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, you should have done what everyone else did, which was borrow it from your friend and rip it. Yeah, but you don't. they don't have a, such a large selection. Your friend said poor taste in music. What could you do? No one else was buying Shania Twain. <laughs> actually, I have no idea what you listen to. <laughs> Same music as you probably. Didn't know you back then. Seafood? Seafood anyone? No, I didn't. I didn't listen to the music you listened to either then. <laughs> okay, one last thing. I want to apologise. 
I like apologising, it's okay. For the book club episode, for the Prey book club episode, I pointed out a review and I decided to name the reviewer. I don't know what I was looking to do. Maybe trying to name and shame him. That's not right. That's not right. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So I'm sorry about that. But you're not going to give the name again? No, no need. Okay. I do think it is really interesting and we could have a whole discussion just on the topic of anchoring fallacy and groupthink and orthodoxy because you know the orthodoxy now is that prey is a good game and prey deserves a score of at least eight out of ten at least but if you were genuinely reviewing a game in isolation which is what you should do you should play the game you shouldn't get anyone else's opinion you should just say what you think and this guy obviously didn't like it And if anything, the fact that he genuinely gave it the score he thought it deserved, which was not following the groupthink of everyone else, he should be applauded. He should be given an award for being so wrong and having the courage to just... No, but really, good on him. (laughs) Thank you for undoing all my good work, but... No, no, I'm agreeing. I actually think it's fine. I think it's good that he genuinely gives the score he thought he deserved. Even if, in the world of Metacritic bonuses, it's actually quite damaging. I mean, there's all sorts of... (sighs) We should make this a proper topic if we're going to talk about it anymore. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me Sir Michael. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hello. Is that not right either? Hello. And myself. Timothy. We're a book club for games. And today we are... Yay. Yay. (laughs) What are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Super Mario Brothers. A game which is, what, 30? No, more than 35? A game which is pretty old. So many variations of this title. Can you be confused with anything else? Well, for the avoidance of doubt, we are talking about the game that was originally on the Famicom or NES and has been remade a bunch of times. It was on Super Mario All-Stars. I think it was on the Game Boy Color. You're looking incredulous. Don't look at me. I can't fact check any of this. I don't know. I'm too young for this. (laughs) You're too young for what? (laughs) Lies. And most recently, it has been on the Switch, as part of their NES back catalogue, which is where we actually both played it. There will be spoilers for Super Mario Brothers, if such a thing is even possible. Yeah, there's secrets. There's secrets there. If you haven't played Super Mario Brothers, pause this podcast and go and play it. It's like five minutes long. It's not like five minutes. <laughs> Two hours. It's five minutes long if you're really, really good at it. So this is the best-selling title on the NES console. Yes. 40 million-ish copies sold. And where does that sit 
in the grand scheme of things? I think it is the fifth best-selling game of all time across all games ever. With number one being Tetris, which is 170 million. Number two being Minecraft. Number three is Wii Sports. Number four is GTA V. And number five, Super Mario Brothers. So we played these on Switch Online. Yarp. What do you think of that experience? Well, this isn't a review of Switch Online, but I did find it quite surprising. Like I had forgotten a lot of what the experience of games on the NES was like. If you think these days, even on a console, you turn on the console, there's this like warm-up sequence with a flashy screen and an interesting noise, and then you choose the game from a dashboard and it starts up and it shows you a bunch of logos and the name of the company that made the game and the name of the company that published the game. There's quite a lot of guff before you actually get to the game. And then there'll be a connecting to online services or something silly oh, like that. Jeez, yes. But this, even on Switch Online, you select the game, boom, title screen, no loading times, just immediately title screen, one player, two player, press start. So an interesting fact is the entire game is less than 40 kilobytes. That is minuscule. For comparison, two seconds of audio of this podcast is already more data than the entirety of Super Mario Brothers. So listening to me say Super Mario Brothers takes up as much data as the actual game. Mind blown. You say that. What blows my mind is the plot to Super Mario Brothers. You didn't know this, did you? No. Because the Switch Online NES back catalogue, I think they make the instructions available to you online, but they don't really advertise it or include it on the console itself. But I knew this because I had the game back in the day and I remember reading the instruction manual. To summarise the plot, the tribe of Cooper, who are turtles that are experts in black magic, invade the peace-loving Mushroom Kingdom and turn all of the inhabitants into rocks, bricks and field horsehair plants. The only person who can reverse the spell is Princess Toadstool, but she has been captured by the King of the Coopers. And you are the hero of the story, maybe, Mario, and had to rescue her. But the crazy thing is, if the princess can reverse the spell, does that mean that whenever you are breaking a block in Mario, you're killing someone? Because the blocks are made of the people from the Mushroom Kingdom. It doesn't really make sense. The blocks are floating. It makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I don't feel current Mike or young Mike will be bothered by this plot. What, it's just killing people by smashing blocks open? Yes. Or the fact that black magic was involved. I think that even as a... How old would I have been? I don't know, less than 10. Even as a less than 10-year-old child playing this game, I read this instruction manual and was like, what 
the f- <laughs> I was like, even back then, I was thinking, this is illogical. Why would turtles invade a kingdom of mushrooms? What kind of magic turns someone into a brick and can turn them back again? I would not have wanted to be your teacher. <laughs> I feel like you would, you would, you would be, be this the- annoying, precocious child. Uh, miss, I think you'll find the second law of thermodynamics means that. I feel like at least once in your life you have corrected the teacher. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off in a story now. But yes, I remember being incensed that we had some like vocabulary lesson and I completed, you know, this sentence using the word shard, like a shard of glass, right? And it was marked wrong because it wasn't in the dictionary. And I was like, this is a child's dictionary. This doesn't have proper words in it. Sorry, you're right, though. I was that kid. You're not alone. I've asked for marks, and I have complained when the teacher spelt McDonald's with an A. She created my work saying McDonald's has an A. Between M and C. <laughs> okay, I was thinking, McDonald's does have an A in it. Yeah, you would. <laughs> but, but not there. Yeah, you're right. She doesn't eat enough fast food. Sorry, back on topic. Back on topic, sorry. So it's logical. I just think it's funny. Games from this era had stupid plots. I would have said this, it's got quite a dark plot. But you would say that's not dark enough. <laughs> no, I think that back in the day, they made the game and then they just made up a plot. I don't think that they made up this plot and then thought about how to represent it in a game. Or if they did, they were clearly on acid. Disappointing, but fair. Anyway, this was supposed to be a random aside about how the plot was unimportant back then in contrast to now. So we should probably move on to the actual meat of what makes Super Mario Brothers worth playing, which is the actual gameplay itself. Yes. Because Super Mario Brothers is one of the founding games of the platform genre. Before Super Mario Brothers, I mean, I don't know if it was the first game to scroll, but it's definitely very early on. In the same way that Super Mario 64 really defined what a 3D platformer is, Super Mario Brothers really defined what a 2D platformer is. Something you always, always come back to is the physics of Mario Brothers. One of the things that's very interesting is that my memory of what the physics are like and the actual physics of Super Mario Brothers are totally different. I had an enormous amount of difficulty playing this game. In fact, if I didn't have any of the nostalgia of having played this as a child and played this for the first time as an adult having never played it before i would think what is this garbage jank fest this is horrible which is so funny because it's completely at odds of my memory of how great the game was and how great the physics was it's absolutely what i expected it's going to be what happens when we play metroid as well well actually i never really liked metroid super metroid is where it's at but still How did you find it? Because for you, you are coming at this completely from the cold, right? You never played this as a child. So, 
in general, it feels quite predictable and very, I want to use secure, but is that the right word? You feel very safe with your jumps, but there are very jarring things. Like you, when you hit something, you, the velocity is, the, the calculation just goes weird. You bounce off things weirdly. It is really strange. I don't know. I mean, I don't think the bouncing off stuff was even the problem for me. I think I just found it like my memory of the game is based on probably the more recent Super Mario games and also watching people play Mario Maker on YouTube. So it just just felt wrong. Like Mario Mario has so much inertia, like the time it takes him to speed up and the time it takes him to slow down or the amount of control you have over Mario in the air. It really just didn't feel like I had good control of Mario. And the other problem was, I think a lot of games these days give you some kind of like grace period after you run off a platform to jump. So it might be that you are actually no longer standing on the platform. You're just off it, but it will still let you jump. And this game is like brutal. It's like, nope, sorry, no pixels on platform, no jump for you. Like I definitely failed a whole bunch of jumps and just ran off into a pit i didn't expect them to be forgiving with the jumps i'm just so shocked because like i have no recollection of having any of these problems when i was young but it might just be that i've edited out all the failures from my memory or it could just be that i just expected to fail more as a child and so it wasn't remarkable and i didn't remember it or it might even be something crazy like I'm playing on a wireless controller now on an HDTV, and so there's much more input lag, and I would have been playing on a CRT with a wired controller back then, and maybe, I mean, we're talking about tens of milliseconds difference, but maybe that actually made all the difference? I don't know. I feel like 20 years of gaming has softened you, because there are more aids for you. So, you know, with the late jumps, they are more forgiving these days. I'm just shocked. I expected to just crush this game. I expected to waltz through it like I did when I was a kid and no, I actually found it quite difficult at times. I mean, I did breeze through a lot of it, but there would be some sections where I would just die and die and die and die over and over and over again. Whereas I distinctly remember being a gullible child that in a magazine one time, they printed that if you finish the entire game in under one hour without using any warp zones, without losing a single life, you could unlock a secret world nine. And I distinctly remember successfully playing the game in under one hour, no warp zones, didn't lose a life. No secret world, obviously, because it was made up. But, you know, I was able to do that. I could definitely not do that now. Maybe with the save states, right? Oh, also, underwater levels. What do you think of those? I didn't really notice them, if that's the right thing to say. The thing that I had completely forgotten was that there are bits of the underwater level where you just kind of like get sucked downwards. Like there's just this weird zone of wibbly wobbliness where your controls just don't work properly and there's no graphical indication that this exists at all you'll just be like trying to swim over a pit and you just suddenly get sucked down into the pit that's so weird 
Oh, I thought that was me being a bit poop. But that makes a lot of sense. I did die a lot over pits. Yeah, it's just strange physics. And th- there's just no visual indication that it's going to happen. It's really odd. Like, you wouldn't do that these days. There are so many things in this game that actually you just wouldn't do these days. Really? Can you say that? Well, I've got more examples, but I think we can refer to them if we actually come to those worlds. Okay. Uh, What's the other critical thing to mention? The game only scrolls right. That's the other major thing that would be unusual these days. Did you also want to mention the difference in versions? As another excuse. (laughs) It is an excuse... Yeah, that's obviously the reason why, uh, you know, I failed so hard. No, I do think it probably does affect things a bit, but not enough to make up for <laughs> my total failure. <laughs> but, but to explain it, on these older consoles... What versions are we talking about? Have we been explicit? Well, it's really specific to the console rather than the version of the game. I mean, there was a region lockout chip that meant you couldn't by default, play NTSC games on a PAL NES and vice versa. But having said that, there were some versions of the NES made that didn't actually have the region lockout chip. But that's an aside. So, back in the day, less processing power, and for technical reasons, the consoles in the US had to output the game at 60 frames per second because like the electrical signal that the TV, you know, was expecting was 60 hertz. And in the UK, the TV standard was different. And so the games actually had to run at 50 frames per second instead. And as a result, some games actually just ran slower. Other games, they actually changed the timing of the game to try and make it run at approximately the same speed. But 50 and 60 don't cleanly divide into each other. So you would lose some frames or gain some frames or things would work slightly differently. And that also meant that there were some things possible on the NTSC version that weren't on the PAL version and vice versa sometimes. In particular, there's an infinite lives trick in Super Mario Brothers that I always read about in magazines but could never get to work on my NES. But on this Switch version, it just worked immediately, because obviously this is based on the NTSC build. Something I touched upon earlier was AIDS, or how Mario platformers have evolved. So there are some things which I expected purely from muscle memory. But obviously, they're not there. I'm just stupid to expect them to be there, but muscle memory drove that. So so you knew logically that these weren't in the game, but you still... Tried to do them, yeah. You know, in in moments of desperation, I'd try a wall jump to get out of a tricky spot. And we've also talked about being late with jumps. You can be really late with jumps these days. And you're almost expected to be late. Maybe you can comment on this one. I thought when I was Fireball Mario, Fire Mario, I don't know what the right terminology is. I thought if I got attacked or got hit, I would become regular Mario. But large in size. But you don't. You don't. You become small Mario straight away. So that's how it worked in this first game. And in fact, in the Japanese version of Super Mario Bros. 3, it's actually the same. But they changed it because 
Japan had no respect for Western gamers <laughs> back in the day, and they thought that they needed to make it easier for them. And so, in Super Mario Bros. 3 in the US version, you become Big Mario rather than Small Mario when you lose like a second stage power up. And then, because in the future everyone's a crybaby, uh, that's just how games are nowadays, and it's actually much better. Yeah, I was also like, what the? How come I'm small? I've forgotten this. Another one? It may be then, I'm just not very good. One up on reaching the top of the flagpole? Yeah, you don't deserve one up for hitting the top of the flagpole. Hitting the top of the flagpole is easy. So? <laughs> you don't get a participation medal. But I do get that in the newer versions, right? Yeah, you do. Again, it's a case of Mario games are easy these days. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why I'm being such a jerk about this. No, no, I'm... Games used to be hard, right? Games used to be really hard. Games used to be designed for arcade and were designed to eat all your quarters and make you pay more. Why do we say quarters? Oh, it's an Americanism. Eat all your pound coins. I don't know. Eat all your tuppenny bits. Sounds rude. <laughs> it sounds rude, but it's actually old English money. It predates us. What were we trying to say? Well, the other thing is, even forget the arcade. Games used to be short, right? As we've just said, this game you could finish in a couple of hours. Well, actually, I say that. This game you can finish in a couple of hours if you've got save states. But how did games give you value for money back then? How did they make the game last you days or weeks or years? Well, they just made it incredibly hard. Yeah, so in your case, you would have restarted the game had you run out of lives. Yes, although it turns out there's a way to continue. But there was no internet back then, so I didn't know. Did you call the hotline? Did I call the hotline? I actually have called the Nintendo Power cheat line before, but uh, no, I didn't in this case. Butt smash, butt stomp. Does not exist. No. So it'll be like a phantom button press at the beginning. I think the only mechanic thing that caught me completely off guard was that the clouds in this game are totally solid so there are some cloud blocks in some of the you know climb up a vine and get a load of coins bonus stages and i tried to jump through a cloud and just banged my head on the bottom of it and i was like what the this cloud is made of bricks so that surprised me I guess the reason I am so confused by all of this as well is because Mario Maker, which looks very similar to this, just plays differently. So in Mario Maker, the clouds are semi-solid, and that's obviously where my expectation that they would be semi-solid has come from. And the Mario Maker physics for the Super Mario Brothers skin are totally different. They are like the recent... Wii and Wii U New Super Mario Brothers games. I actually read an article that said that when they were making Mario Maker, they originally intended to make all of the different themes have the same physics as their original games. But when they did that, people found it really difficult to play because, you know, their memory of what Super Mario Brothers was like was totally different to the actual physics of the game. So it turns out that everyone at Nintendo had the same experience of me where they played Super Mario Brothers and they were like, what the hell is this? This feels awful. 
I think there's something that we share in how prana plants and bullet bills function. Is it bullet bill? Or is there another term for it? No, it's bullet bill. So I saw that prana plants just stopped popping up if you go close to them. Is that right? Is that the expected behavior? Yeah, that is the expected behavior. That is something that has been maintained to this day. Fine. I just had to get used to it then. Oh, you were expecting to pop up? Yes, I was. Sometimes it did. Or maybe I just approached them too quickly before they could retreat. Yeah, I mean, if they're already out, they'll stay out. But there's a certain distance at which if they're down, they won't come up. They almost seem pointless then if they're going to retreat when I'm near them. I'm not going to, they're not going to hurt me. Well, I, I guess it's a concession to making the game more fun to play. I mean, otherwise it might be really annoying. The thing that surprised me was that bullet bills don't follow the rules I was expecting. I expected the bullet bills to be reasonably predictable about when they fired. But they're not. There were a few times when it fired a bullet at me. And then I thought, okay, it's not going to fire a bullet for a little bang. And they just fire another bullet straight into my face. The gap between the two bullets was like one block. Okay, I'm not sure, but okay. It, it really confused me. I was really not expecting it. And it genuinely actually made the game more difficult because... In some of the levels, there are just lots and lots of launchers just pointing all over the place at different heights. And I just never felt safe. I never knew when it would be safe to like jump to get out of the way of a Cooper because a bullet might just fire and shoot me in the face. I feel only you would complain about the lack of bonus points. This is just another example of my memory of the game being wrong. Because in the later Mario games, if you collect an invincibility star, as you continue to kill enemies with that star, your points multiply. And this game does have that mechanic, but only for shells. So if you kick a shell and it hits a lot of enemies in a row, the points you get for each enemy will go up until eventually you'll get a one-up. And if you jump on enemies a lot of times, again, the points multiply in the same way. Although, other than the weird infinite lives trick on the pyramid Cooper thing. I don't think there are any instances where there are enough enemies in a row for you to naturally do that. But in Super Mario Bros. 3 onwards, if you get an invincibility star and you run into a load of enemies, you'll actually get one-ups from that too. But in this game, you don't. So the first time I got the star and just ran through a load of enemies, I was like, oh yeah, the points don't multiply in this game. In fact, something I found quite interesting is that this game is much stingier with lives in general. So you mentioned that you don't get a life for hitting the top of the flagpole. And yeah, the game just doesn't hand lives out to you very often. To the point where one-ups actually feel valuable. Certainly in the later Mario games, you're getting lives all the time. I mean, it was very common for me to have double-digit numbers of lives in the later Mario games, like even like 99 lives, to the point where I just, you just don't have to think about lives. But here, lives were actually precious. In fact, in fact, it's literally the opposite of Mario Maker, 
despite the fact it looks the same, where lives are entirely pointless. Because if you're playing a single level, well, what does a life matter? You can just restart the level as many times as you like. And even if you're doing those challenge runs where you have to do, you know, the 100 Mario challenge, well, you can only gain three lives per level anyway. So, again, it kind of doesn't matter. Did you find the game hard? Yes, but I had save states. And how often were you save stating? So originally, I would save state at the beginning of the the level and just restart the level. Oh, really? Yeah. So you never let yourself actually die. If you died, you just reloaded your save state. Yeah. What? Why not? It's cheating, man. Um, I thought I was doing okay with that sort of fair, fair process. But later on, I was more liberal, if I'm honest. I mean, there are checkpoints in the game. I didn't know this. So when you get halfway through a level and you die, you'll actually restart from halfway through the level. No, I never died. <laughs> At least for the early level. I do, I do think once you get to World 8, there are no more checkpoints. You always start back from the beginning. But So how did you deploy your save states? No, uh, just whenever I felt like it. I mostly save stated at interesting points in the game. So of my four save states, the first one was like my active I'm playing the game save state. And I just saved that whenever I felt like it, usually at the start of a world or something. The other three are actually all saved just before interesting glitches, which we can mention at the end. But you need to think back to, well, I mean, this game came out in the 80s, but I didn't play it till the 90s. But if you didn't have save states, this game actually would have been relatively difficult. Yeah, frustrating. Although apparently if you hold down A when you press start after you die, it actually carries on from the previous level. Previous world. Previous world, sorry. I have no recollection of this at all. I can't tell if this is something I knew and have just forgotten because it has been, you know, over 20 years. Or if I just didn't know it and if I went back and told, you know, Kid Mike, he'd be like, oh my God, this game's so easy now. Talking of difficulty, did you need the time? Did you need the time? I I mean, I was just always just sprinting through the levels. I was just holding B and running right. What is the point of Mario? <laughs> what is the point of <laughs> Wow. We <laughs> we run off a platform because we jumped too late and ended up in existential What is the point of Mario? I don't know what the point of Mario is. So you just run right. I just run right and jump. Yeah, you're right. I'm playing Mario like Sonic. I'm doing it wrong. I, you know what? I feel so much like you are right. What are we actually talking about here? What are we actually talking about? We're just saying a load of stuff. And I feel like we are totally missing the point. I don't know if this is what you intended. Probably not. But you have inadvertently made a really important point. What is the point of Mario? The point of Mario is not to just... Well, no, it is. The point of Mario is just to run to the right. <laughs> Being reductionist, right? The point of Mario is to run to the right and get to the flagpole or to get to the axe and finish the level. But it's the journey that counts, you know? Who just runs to the right? Sonic just runs to the right. Well, and me. But Mario is so much about 
the secrets and the layout of the blocks and smashing blocks and funny situations that arise from different interactions, right? With the world. And we haven't talked about that at all. That's the next section, don't worry. Is it? Yeah, we talk about highlights, right? <laughs> well, highlights would be particular moments in the game, yes, but this general chat about the mechanics, the blocks, those are the mechanics of Mario. Like, most of the levels are made out of bricks, different arrangements of platforms of bricks. And I don't know, it's just, this is some of the actual genius of Mario. This is what makes a Mario game, actually. As small Mario, you can't break the bricks. As big Mario, you can break the bricks. And there are certain things you can only get to by smashing the platforms. Right? Like, this is the genius of Mario. By murdering mushroom people who have been turned into bricks by smashing them as giant Mario. But, I don't know, man. It's just, somehow, that's what made it so clever. The question mark blocks obviously have something you want in them. Either a coin or a power-up or multiple coins. But the regular brick blocks, some of them actually have power-ups in too. And that is what made the game so fun to play, that element of discovery. Like, you might have lost your fire flower and think, oh no, I'm going to die. I've only got one more hit now and it's world eight and it's really hard. But lo and behold... You know, somewhere in this platform of regular brick blocks, one of them is actually a question mark block secretly and will give you a mushroom. And knowing that is the expertise that let you finish the game. Or you're skilled enough to manage without, and that's just as rewarding as well. Not to mention the invisible blocks. There are blocks that are completely hidden, but when you jump, you'll just suddenly hit your head on them. Because you, 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 you love watching people get thrown by these invisible blocks. That's the problem. <laughs> no, no, no. We okay. live in a world where it's, where invisible blocks are everywhere. Okay. I wasn't even going to mention that. Because in Super Mario Brothers, this original game, the invisible blocks are actually there to help you, right? There'll be times when you jump and you hit an invisible block and out pops a one up. You know, boom, it's a secret. Or in the last level, I think there's a mandatory invisible block, which these days will probably be considered bad game design, but back then was considered a work of absolute genius. And the only path forward is to get into this pipe that's up in the air. And to get into it, the only way you can jump high enough is to hit this invisible block that makes a platform for you. But what you were referring to earlier was Kaizo Blocks, where in Mario Maker and in many, many ROM hacks, people will put an invisible block directly in the most obvious path to jump, such that you hit your head and fall down a pit, and I, watching on YouTube, wet myself laughing, as someone once again just wastes like 20 minutes of playing this incredibly difficult level, only to fall into a pit at the end. Lol. So... Let's bring it all together. Why does it work? Extend on what you've said, or maybe I'll have a go and then you can just come back and finish it off. I think, looking back, it's it's the fact that there's so many mechanics at play, but not so many that you're overwhelmed. It's very, it's not complicated. It's not overwhelming. But they come together in a very neat way. And if you think about it, for a first go, that's perfect. 
and I enjoyed just exploring or learning the rules of the world. I didn't just run to the end. Yeah, my running to the end was because I was jaded, right? I've seen it all before. I mean, I've played this game a lot, right, in my youth. So I just knew what was there. I knew what was in all the blocks. But you're right. That coming together of simple things to make this adventure, you know, that's what it does really, really well. And you get to show your mastery of the game by either making it through and just dodging the enemies or jumping on the enemies, or there's even room for doing the subversive, I broke the game, aren't I so clever? Because to give an example, in World 1-2, when you see that the ceiling is made of bricks and, hey, if I'm Big Mario, can I break this brick? Oh, I can. Hey, what happens if I stand on top of the level? Oh, wow, I can just run on top of the level, you know? Discovering that you can do that makes you feel really clever. So I guess if we're going to take away what mechanics we should be stealing from Mario if we're going to make a platform game, bricks that you can break, secrets, janky physics, (laughs) fun emergent behaviour from simple rules. Yeah. That last one I can really associate with. I'm surprised that there would be fun emergent behaviour. I think I always played Mario as an attempt to just get to the right as quick as possible. <laughs> what? You're as bad as me now. No, but it's different. Like, in the new way, in the new world, there's always, like, collect the three coins in the level, or there's always, like, an, um, an objective. So it's different. Your focus is different. <laughs> talk of worlds let's go to worlds something that i actually really noticed having not played it for a long long time and now coming back to it the levels are actually really short yes they are even levels that i thought of as actually being really long in my you know in my memory when i actually played them now i realized they're really not very long at all like if they take a long time to get through It's only because I was being very careful back in the day because I was trying to be very conservative and make sure I saved my lives. Whereas now with save states, just YOLO, run, 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 run. Oh, I died. I can reload my save state. Well, I mean, I might not do it the first time because I don't know I'm going to die there. But the next time I'll get to that point and be like, right, save state here so I can get through it for sure. But I think you wanted to pick out some particular highlights. I thought, like, you know, we talk about, like, fun emergent behaviour. The first underwater level, you come across, I said octopus, but it's their squid. I think it's a squid. It's a blooper. And they have very interesting movement patterns. So there was a period of maybe, I don't know, it felt like five seconds where there was some weird dance I was having with the, the squid trying to dodge it and trying to move beyond it. I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I'm getting old. I need to find enjoyment in better things. this zen moment of watching the squid bob up and down how would you describe the movement it moves diagonally upwards in either direction and then it lets gravity pull itself down yes so it's zigzagging towards you or trying to attack you but only in its limited zigzaggy movement it was hilarious i found hilarious 
I'm trying to think what the actual rules are for the movement of this type of enemy. And I'm actually not sure if it's another thing they changed between the original game and Mario Maker. Because I think in Mario Maker, there are very strict rules about how it moves. Like, I think it it's something really weird. Like, it always moves the direction you're looking. Or maybe only if you're a certain distance from it and otherwise it moves towards you. I don't know. But I'm not sure it's that formal in this original game. Like like the bullet bill launchers that just randomly just fire at you when they feel like it. I wonder if in the original game they actually move much more randomly. Do you not have anything to say? For World 2-2? I don't know, or anything up to World 4-2. There's a whole bunch of things that I know about that I actually didn't necessarily do in this playthrough since I played it through one time every level without using warp zones for this podcast episode. But in the past, I generally would play through it by going to, you know, World 1-1, World 1-2, jump onto the ceiling, run to the warp zone at the end, go to World 4, World 4-1, dodge the spinies, World 4-2 climb up the vine, warp zone to world 8, and then 8-1, So I'm much more familiar with that sequence of levels than playing through the whole game. How did you first discover the warp zones? It's lost to the mists of time. I kind of want to say that I thought of running on the ceiling and discovered it myself. But it could equally be that a friend of mine showed it to me because I played this game at a friend's house before I actually myself had a NES. Or it could even be that I read it in a magazine. Like, I genuinely couldn't tell you at this point. Okay. I don't even know what I've written here. What am I referring to? So, every world ends with a castle. And for some of the castles, the level actually loops unless you take a specific route through it so the first one of these is actually world 4-4 i was talking about world 4-2 i'm really sorry oh no no, i wrote that don't worry i i just wrote that because i just just ignore this the buzzy beer still i'm really confused i thought i wrote that no i wrote that i forgot to put it in blue (laughs) that's why (laughs) what is buzzy what is buzzy beetle (laughs) oh god okay i'm really sorry Just, just fine I just wrote it because I just was surprised it occurs so late in the game. What the hell is Buzzy Beetle? What the hell is Buzzy Beetle? Okay, fine. So, how I mind for fish. So, this is actually something that I wrote in the show notes. And usually I put my notes in blue and I forgot to change this one to blue. So, you were really confused because you thought you wrote it and had no idea what you're talking about. Buzzy Beetle is just an enemy. It's those black-shelled enemies. They behave kind of like Coopers in that when you stomp on them, they turn into a shell and you can kick it. But they are also fireproof. So if you fire fireballs at them, it does nothing. And the first appearance of them is actually in World 4-2, which kind of surprised me. Because it's later or earlier. It's quite late. Also, it's a beetle that's the size of a turtle. That's terrifying. If I saw a beetle that was the size of a turtle, I would not stomp on it. I would run away. True. 
Oh. Actually, I said that. If I saw a turtle that was as big as me, I would run away. <laughs> In fact, if I saw a sentient mushroom walking towards me, I would run away. This whole game is a nightmare. So let's go back to World 4-4. This surprised me. The level loops round until you find the right path. Yeah, it is quite surprising. Every world ends with a castle. So like the theme of the level is like grey bricks and fireballs and lava pits. And... World War 4 is the first instance where the level loops forever unless you take the right path through it. So there will be sections where there's like an upper, middle and lower path. And you have to take those paths in the correct order for the level to advance. Otherwise it just loops you back to the start of the section again. I was surprised. I like to be surprised. It is quite confusing though if you're not expecting it which, you know, you wouldn't be if you had never played this game before. Because there's no indication that you've done something right or wrong. It just brings you back to where you were. And when they remade the game for Super Mario All-Stars, I think they added, like, a chime sound to it when you take the right path. Just to, you know, help you realise what's going on. But they do this again in World 7-4. And this time I had to brute force it. And by random luck, pure chance, I managed to get through it. Yeah, the World 7-4 version is much fiddlier. Did you memorise it? Did you know what you were doing? No, the World 7-4 one, I was always like, how often have I played World 7-4 much less frequently than the other levels? Because it's not on you know, the critical path for, for finishing the game. I mean, the very last level, World 8-4, is the same, actually. It infinitely loops, but with the additional complication of pipes and stuff, so. Let's talk about your your low point before we start talking about Bowser and all that. Yeah, so World 8-2 is probably the first level where I thought this level is actually hard. The level started and I had flashbacks of, you know, sitting on the floor in front of a CRT TV, like trying again and again and again. I was like, oh, it's this level. Like so many of my Super Mario Brothers playthroughs ended at this level. It has those annoying Lakitu spiny enemies right at the start while you're trying to climb this pyramid with holes in while Koopas jump down at you, followed by a whole bunch of Hammer Brothers. And then... Some really obnoxious jumps, including an actual blind jump. I mean, what is this? Amateur hour. Blind jump. Blind jump. So you're standing on a pipe and there's two one block platforms just to the right of the pipe. But you'd have to like gingerly step down onto them if you wanted to make use of them. And you can't see anything else to the right of the screen. It's just endless pit. So you have to make just, you know, a leap of faith and just assume that there's going to be land on the other side. Plus no checkpoints. If you die at the end, it's all the way back to the start for you. But you did it. With a safe state. Good. <laughs> it's funny because I actually played through the level to the blind jump and then tried to jump from the pipe 
and died. And I was like, oh. And then played through the level again and got back to that point and then made a save state so that I wouldn't have to do it all over again. But then actually, I just finished the level the first time after that, so I needn't have made the save state after all. Perhaps it was the psychological safety of knowing I had the save state that meant I could do it. The save states were purely for convenience, actually, because I, I was at no risk of having a game over anymore because of the infinite lives trick in, in World 3, three one. So you got... What, is it infinite lives? Well, sort of. Well, again, let's just talk about that at the end. So Okay. So let's talk about Bowser. So at the end of each world, you come across Bowser. Yes. I really didn't appreciate the mechanics for this at the beginning, and I thought it was much harder than it was. So I always tried to be... Fire Mario. Yeah. And just... Spam him with fireballs. Obviously. Or be Large Mario and just... Tank him. (laughs) Just run through him. Yes. But there's more things you can do. You can jump over him. Can you go under him over to you? Yes. Did you? Yeah. That's right for some. When did boss battles become a thing? Now, I guess. <laughs> Mary 3. Wait, 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 wait. This is, is this not a boss battle to you? Is it a boss battle yeah, to you? This, this is totally a boss battle. I can, run over, I can jump over him. So, he's much bigger than a normal enemy. It's very obviously a, a thing. This is 100% a boss battle. Fine. Something I, I hadn't really picked up on until this playthrough is that they do kind of gracefully advance the difficulty of it. Since, you know, at the end of every world, it's always Bowser. You know, there aren't different bosses for different worlds. But in world one, it's just Bowser hopping up and down and spitting fireballs at you. And then later on, they up the complexity a bit by adding blocks to the ceiling or adding platforms and so on that you know you have to they might get in the way of your jump and then in world six bowser actually starts throwing hammers like a hammer brother so that makes it harder for you to jump over him too it just adds an extra thing to watch out for so yeah i hadn't really noticed it in my mind bowser just jumps and throws fireballs and throws hammers and I hadn't really picked up on the fact that he only starts throwing hammers three quarters of the way through the game. favorite your favorite part of mario games is all the secrets glitches surprises secrets and unintended secrets i guess i mean the famous one is world minus one so if you get to a warp zone and go down a pipe before any of the numbers appear on the warp zone. So I think in practical terms, the only place you can do this is actually is World 1-2, where you can do a glitchy jump that lets you clip through the wall and then 
you end up in the warp zone room, but you haven't scrolled far enough right for it to say welcome to warp zone and put the numbers on the pipes. So if you do that and you go down the pipe, you end up in world minus one. Which is actually... Well, it's actually technically not world minus one, but it's world blank character one, which looks like a minus one. And that world is just an infinitely repeating water level. I guess this is what hell looks like. I mean, it's a soft lock. The game is just stuck until you die at that point. Die and lose all your lives. The actual reason that this occurs is really interesting. But I'm not going to go into it because it takes ages to explain. And there's a YouTube video that actually explains it really, really well. So I will put in a link to that YouTube video instead. Or if you want story time with Mike, let us know. (laughs) I'll put it in. Gather round, gather round and listen to the story of how incorrect point arithmetic leads to... Well, it's not exactly incorrect point arithmetic. Never mind, let's not go there. I had a question because I didn't do it myself. I didn't work it out myself. What happens after you've completed the game? After you've completed the game... You can actually choose what level to start on. So on the title screen, normally it actually says, you know, like world one, one. And, you know, it's, it's the same kind of like status bar as in the actual game. But if you press the B button after you've completed the game, actually will go world one, one, world two, one, world three, one. So you can choose what level to start on. And also all of the Goombas have been replaced by Buzzy Beetles, which makes your fireballs considerably less useful. So effectively, it's a pseudo-hard mode. Did you go into this game completely blind? Yeah. So you didn't know about warp zones? Only what you kept saying in passing. <laughs> wow, it's terrible that, <laughs> that I talked about this game enough in passing for you to know about the existence of warp zones. Interesting. But you didn't use You're any like- of it. No one does it straight, Ting. You have to walk through it. It takes five minutes. Sort of your life out. If you spend more than five minutes playing this game, you're not playing it right. But you didn't actually use any in this playthrough? Nope. Did you figure out where they were? I think so. I think there's one in one, two. Because I saw, I saw it from the outside. Is that possible? Not really. Not unless you were standing on the ceiling and then you would have, <laughs> but then you would have actually gone to the warp zone. Maybe I rejected the warp zone. This is possible. Please tell me about the warp zones. It's the only way to play. <laughs> it's the only way to play. No, no, no. No, I, I mentioned them already, right? It, it was just more a question of whether you made use of them, because I, I just thought that might be interesting. But I guess it sounds like we both just played through this game once with safe states. So we didn't get the true 80s mode feel of the game as it would have been back in the day. We instead got the... Millennials have it so easy, all mod cons, I can't fail version. But it's a bit sad to take away more than half the game to finish it. That's also true. I mean, if you're going to play through the game once, you may as well experience as much of the game as you can. And then other secrets then. So the thing I mentioned a couple of times already, in World 3.1 and... There are probably a few other places in the game where you can do this, but World 3.1 is like the famous one in, you know, air quotes. There's always a sort of pyramid staircase of blocks at the end 
of each level. And in World 3-1, there are two Coopers that are walking down the blocks towards you. So in the NTSC version, but not in the PAL version, if you jump on one of the Coopers, you can repeatedly bounce up and down on it on the staircase. So like the instant you hit it and kick the shell into the staircase, it will bounce back at you and you'll like bounce off it again. And you can just keep bouncing in the air on the same shell over and over and over again. And because of the score multiplier effect, after you've done it a few times, you'll just start getting extra lives. And you can just keep bouncing up and down on it until you run out of time, getting an extra life every time. So effectively, it's infinite lives. The game's life counter doesn't actually work properly for numbers above nine, I think. So it will actually look like you've got like crown blue square lives or something. So did you get crown blue square lives? Yeah, I mean, the exact symbols change each time you lose a life. Like, you know, it's that you've overflowed the numbers thing and it's gone off and taken sprites from other bits of the cartridge. But yeah, I had some crazy symbols, number of lives. And I was also like, oh, so this is what it feels like to do this trick because it literally never worked for me as a kid. I would always be like, this magazine is garbage. It's lying to me, you know, or I must be doing it wrong. There must be some special way you need to do the trick. Because on the PAL version, you jump on the Cooper, you jump on it again, and the shell just like bounces off the pyramid and just flies off. And I was like, huh? That's not what the magazine said would happen. And what is jumping over the flagpole? What is this? Why would you do this? So, again, as a kid, I always wondered, I wonder what's past the flagpole. Imagine if I could jump over the flagpole. And then I got a Game Genie and used a cheat and actually jumped out the flagpole. And the answer is, there's nothing beyond the flagpole. It's just infinite scrolling, endless emptiness. You just run until time runs out. But it turns out you can jump over the flagpole without the use of a cheat device in World 3.3. Instead of the normal staircase of blocks... There's instead a kind of two platforms linked by uh, pulleys. And if you time it just right, you can stand on the left platform, which will make the right platform rise up. And you can jump from the left platform to the right platform when it's just at the top and then jump right off the edge of that. And it gives you just enough height to clear the flagpole. So I thought, oh, I've got save states. I'm going to do this. Literally one hour later, I'm still trying to do it. And I started to, like, lose my sanity. I was like, is this just patched out of the Switch version? But why would you patch out just this trick? And then I started, like, watching YouTube videos of other people doing it. And then just being like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this trick? I swear I'm doing this jump exactly like they're doing. I can't do it. I was literally doing this for one hour. My thumb started to hurt. I actually started to get cramp in my hands. And... I started to like, it was like this trance because it was always just like, bloop, like reload save state, run and boing, boing, bloop, hit the flagpole, oh, bloop, bloop, pause, reload save state, bloop, you know, like the, like the sequence of like sounds was just like playing over and over again in this like loop a few seconds long and I kept failing and failing and failing and I was like, I'm going crazy. When I finally did it, I was just like in shock because it took me so long to do it. When I finally jumped over the flagpole and I landed in front of the castle on the other side, and I was just like, 
huh, what just happened? Oh, I jumped out of the flagpole. And then I took a screenshot and then I saved the video of it. And you can see me actually like jump up and down a few times, like going, I did it. I'm so happy. I can finally go to sleep. You should put that up. I have to try and exfiltrate it from my Switch somehow. It's it's a really bad video. It's actually a really bad video. We should mix in that audio. Oh, oh maybe I'll do it. Get up, give me the video. I'll do it since uh, I do all the video. It it was not worth it. I don't know what I was thinking. I could have told you that there, there are many Odyssey challenges you could have done instead. <laughs> I literally spent as much time doing it as I spent playing the rest of the entire game. <sighs> <laughs> you've got the video got the video proof that I finally did it how on earth anybody would have figured this out back in the day I don't know I mean I guess that's why it wasn't discovered till much much later because just think if you failed that jump and you didn't have save states you would have to play through the entire game again up to level 3-3 to get another shot at doing it small fire Mario what is this? Oh, it's just another pointless glitch. If you jump on the axe to defeat Bowser while you're Big Mario, at the same time as you actually lose Big Mario status, so for example, you jump on the axe on the same frame that you also hit Bowser, your sprite will stay as Big Mario, but the game will also know that you're Small Mario. And then when you pick up a mushroom, it toggles the state of your, like, bigness flag. So you actually turn into small Mario when you pick up the mushroom. And then when you pick up the fire flower, you stay small, but you have the fire Mario color palette. And when you shoot a fireball, you momentarily turn into big Mario to throw the fireball and then shrink back into small Mario again. So... It's just a silly visual glitch. It's not very interesting. A little interesting. Yeah. It's another thing that I remember doing on the original NES back in the day. Did you glitch it on purpose? I think I read about it in a magazine and I did it on purpose. Look, I was so bored back then, right? You only had like one game. It's like, oh, I need to get the most out of this game. I'm going to do this incredibly fiddly thing of landing on Bowser at the same time as the axe. Let me Afternoon read. well spent. <laughs> Oh, it's the new issue. Was it Nintendo Power? Oh, goodness. It probably would have been like Total or something. Actually, no, maybe it would have been Nintendo Power. Let me know. see what obscure thing I can waste my time with today. Where it's a badge of honor, it's fine. Yeah, the 90s were terrible. This is what the world was like before the internet. This is what the world was like before YouTube. Barely better than banging two rocks together. <laughs> <laughs> you say you say that. You, you get all these kinds of posts fed you much quicker through reddit all these crazy people doing crazy things except you don't try to replicate you just go to youtube for verification now well that's what i should have done with the jumping over the flagpole right <laughs> i don't know why i decided that i was going to do it myself just this once no you know what i'm gonna do it myself not time well spent i regret doing that <laughs> So what's next for us? Well, we've made no progress on actually writing any game stuff so far, right? Actually, you've played around with the platform tutorial. I've completed the platform tutorial. Okay, well done. 
I, I've done approximately nothing. I spent my last weekend trying to get a grappling hook working, but that's not easy. I was thinking a lot about how modern platform games like Little Big Planet feel quite floaty and different because they're using kind of like floating point maths and physics to do their collisions. Whereas old school platformers feel much sharper because it's all like fixed point maths. And I was thinking like Mario, you know, it feels good. But having played Super Mario Brothers and thinking this is a total jank fest, I'm starting to rethink whether <laughs> I should try and recreate the physics of like the feel of these old Mario games. I'm starting to seriously question whether that's a good idea or not. So maybe, um, maybe I've saved myself a lot of time there. I don't know. We'll see how I feel about it. Uh, I have done no game dev yet, though. Maybe this weekend. And then you're asking, really, what are we going to play next? Yeah. So the next one we said we're going to play Super Mario Bros. 3. You can play it on Switch Online. You can play it on your NES Classic. You can play the Super Mario All-Stars version. It's probably much better because you can choose which level you start on. Anyway, play it on whatever platform you like. We actually won't talk about it in the book club style until January. So it's a bit of a longer game. And... Yeah, we don't want to rush it. Are we going to finish it? Up to you. Don't feel particularly like you need to. Good. I mean, you should really, but... <laughs> Kidding. Again, you can finish it in an hour if you know what you're doing. Using warp zones, that is. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. And YouTube as Lost Levels Club. On Reddit. Slash R slash Lost Levels Club. Oh, Sir Michael. What are you grateful for today? Or this week? Or for this period? <laughs> I am grateful for... Delta Rune. Did you see that coming? No, actually. I am grateful that we got more Undertale. My mind is actually like explosions, Delta Rune. Like, I did not see that coming. I don't think anybody saw that coming, actually. No, I expected a survey. A Twitter survey. I, I can tell you that Delta Rune caused me to be awake at 4 a.m. And only sleep three hours. So it completely wrecked my productivity at work. But you've not complained about tiredness. So it's a different kind of tiredness for sure. It, yeah, it was, it was totally worth it. I was completely caught off guard. There were some cryptic tweets. I thought we were going to get a Twitter poll. Instead, we got a survey program, which then turned out to be what I thought was a short demo, which turned out to be no basically be a whole freaking game but it's only chapter one it's basically as long as undertale it's much longer than you'd expect and i also thought i had you know played through the game and seen it but then 
looking at some stuff on some Undertale fanfiction blogs I follow, <laughs> I saw a whole bunch of alternate versions of events that I hadn't seen, which means that... Hadn't considered. Yeah, I, like, I have no idea how you get these versions of events. In the game? In the game. You know, like, I did this boss battle, I finished it, this thing happened, and then on this blog they had like an animated gif of the same boss battle but it ending in a totally different way and i was like what and then like their next post is like no i don't know what i did to get this different ending either there's people still figuring out all the possibilities there's rumors that it goes and checks your undertale save file and things are different depending on what you did in undertale as well like this is crazy this just came out of the blue for free unexpectedly anyway i should probably stop talking about it because i probably want to do like a whole main section mention of it so but this is true gratitude this is true gratitude yeah remember it doesn't happen very often (laughs) once every three years (laughs) once every three years when the new undertale comes out so michael says bye bye bye